in uh, Geneva, Switzerland, in uh, the Cathedral of St. Pierre, a corner is roped off, and behind that rope is a chair. And this chair is the chair that belonged to John Calvin. It was a chair he sat in when he got up to preach. Go over to the University of Geneva, founded, by the way, by John Calvin, and you will find what is called the Reformation Wall. It is some 330 feet long, 30 feet high. In other words, it's longer than the length of a football field. And in the center of that wall are four statues. There is a statue of William Farrell, who was the first Reformation preacher in Geneva, who got John Calvin to Geneva. There is a statue there of John Calvin, the great reformer of Geneva. And next to Calvin is a statue of Theodore Beza, who was Calvin's successor at Geneva. And then next to Beza is John Knox, the great reformer of Scotland, and the one who proclaimed that in Geneva that it was the most perfect school of Christ on earth when Calvin was there. Calvin was buried in what is now called the Cemetery of the Kings. Uh, these uh, are grounds that have been dedicated to people who've made a great impact on Geneva, historically, or on the world. Those who have profoundly influenced the Swiss way of life. And um, Calvin is there. He is the great son of Geneva. The ground, though, has now claimed his body, and you will not find him. What you might find, I suppose, are a few bones and and maybe some teeth. And um, you will only know of John Calvin in brochures and history books and in the memories of those who've read about John Calvin. He preached in St. Pierre's every Lord's Day, practically. And so, therefore, he rightly is honored as the great son of Geneva, though he was born in France. Now, why do I introduce all of this? For this reason. Is Calvin only to remain in the hearts and minds of those who've read their history books? Is John Calvin only to be remembered because there is a chair roped off in that cathedral where he sat? Or that the university that he founded has a statue outside on the wall? Well, Christians, when they contemplate this, have an answer. And the answer is found in the Apostles' Creed. And remember, the Apostles' Creed is a summary of Christian teaching, a summary of what the Bible teaches. And what the Creed says into its next to last phrase, I believe in the resurrection of the body. 
I believe in the resurrection of the body. And today I want to take up this matter of the resurrection of the body. It is basic to Christian belief. Now this is the penultimate or next to last sermon that I will be preaching on the Apostles' Creed. I suppose next Sunday is the last sermon. Uh, I now come to address the question that Job raised in chapter 14, verse 14. In his affliction and as his accusers have come to him and accused him of this or that, he raises the question about the resurrection, a question for all ages. And he says, quote, if a man dies, will he live again? It has a question mark at the end. Job may not be as clear on that as we should be. Though he does make an affirmation, a pretty strong affirmation later in that book. He may not be as clear, but what a wonderful question. It may not be a question that you see as momentous because you have been raised and taught to believe that there is the resurrection of the dead, a bodily resurrection. But pose that to a secular society and see how, how uh, disturbing that question can be. If a man dies, will he live again? Now, you're going to get all kinds of answers to that. If we were to have a general assembly of people and we were to raise that question and allow people to speak from the floor, let's say we had mics set up around the people present and they could get up and give their understanding of that. You would have some Christians to get up and say, I believe in the resurrection because of Jesus. But you would also hear some other things. And I suppose since there are so many voices on a subject like this that we should come to this point in the sermon with some clarity about what we mean and what we do not mean. First of all, the resurrection. It doesn't always mean to the general public what it means to you and to me. If you were to ask the question after that, what is the resurrection? You would get some strange answers. Some people would say, oh, well, yes, I believe in resurrection. I believe in many of them. It's called reincarnation. I suppose that the average person who no longer reads the daily newspaper, but when they did, they would read their horoscope and do a few other things. And you were to ask him this, I what is the resurrection? Well, uh, I, 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 I believe in reincarnation. That my spirit goes on from embodiment to embodiment. Uh, if you talk about resurrection, some people would say, well, I'm, I'm not quite sure what that means. Uh, they would be hard put to distinguish a resurrection, for instance, from resuscitation. Maybe you are, too. What is the difference between a resuscitation and a resurrection? Well, very simply, a resuscitation is a person who is brought back to life who is still subject to death. A resurrection is to life, never to be subject to death. 
Some of these kinds of distinctions would be important to be made. And when we talk about the body, what are we talking about? Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, which is actually the text, Paul goes on to talk about the body. And he says, some may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come forth from the grave? I've added the last part there, for that's what he means. So Paul envisions a bodily resurrection, even though he hasn't quite described until a little bit later what that bodily resurrection means. And I have another question for you in a sermon like this when we come to this point in the creed. I believe in the resurrection of the body. Why is there such an emphasis in the creed on that in the first place? Well, let me say the emphasis here is not really focusing on Jesus as such. It's already dealt with Jesus' resurrection in the second paragraph. He was bodily raised from the dead. When we talk about the third paragraph, we're talking about our resurrection, bodily resurrection. Why the emphasis on that? Well, we would have to go back in time to the time when uh, this was written, for instance, by the Apostle Paul in the Scriptures in 1 Corinthians 15, and then later in the 2nd century to the 3rd century when the creed was drawn up to summarize Scripture. Why did they do it? Well, if we go back during that time, we would see that they were combating at least two errors, two misunderstandings that Christians had to contend with when they talked about the bodily resurrection. The first was that in the Greek world, in the Neoplatonists, a philosophy from Plato that was renewed about the time of a century before or during the New Testament, and the idea was, yes, there is a resurrection, but it is only the resurrection of the spiritual component of the person, his soul or spirit. Plato had taught that the human being was made up of suke, soul, and soma, body, but that the body really wasn't important. It was the suke or the soul that was important, and it would survive the body. Christians wanted people to understand, no, the body too is important. That too shall be raised, not just the soul or the immaterial component of being human. And the second, the second problem they had to get their message out was that there were some who were saying that the material world and the body were evil things. Material things themselves were evil. They were fallen. They'd been trapped. In fact, our souls had been trapped in this material world and salvation was freeing that particular spark of soul from the material world. You can see affinities with Neoplatonism. But this is a religious movement called Gnosticism. And they could not conceive of the body ever being raised. First of all, it was inferior. Look, it gets sick and it dies. Secondly, look, it is in our bodies that we sin. It makes us sin even. And yet Christians wanted to make sure that they distinguished 
what they were talking about when they talked about redemption, that it included the body, yes, this material thing called a body. And so it found its way in the creed to combat a view of redemption that was not full and complete, but that extended to everything as far as the creation itself. When Paul talks about redemption in Romans 8, he not only talks about souls, he also talks about bodies, and he also talks about the entire creation being redeemed through the one body, Jesus Christ on the cross. And the second reason they wanted to defend the bodily resurrection is because Jesus had died for them in his own human body. Redemption was through the body of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Christians saw something very, very important at stake here. It was who Jesus was and what he did for us. They saw it as a fundamental tenet. There must be a bodily resurrection for Jesus has redeemed us through his own body, which was raised from the dead. So when we come to this statement, we can see that these creedal makers of the second and third century had a profound understanding of the Bible and of redemption. When Christians confess that they believe in the resurrection of the body, it is a fundamental tenet of our faith. Now, the Apostle Paul does some interesting things in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I have now worked my way up to the text, but it's coming toward the end, not the beginning, so don't worry. 1 Corinthians 15. I want you to hear how Paul begins to say things here uh, concerning the body that has been redeemed or will be raised. He goes on to say, but someone may ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? He says, how foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. But God gives it a body as he has determined. And to each kind of seed, he gives his own body. All flesh is not the same. Men have one kind of flesh, animals have another, birds another, and fish another. There are also heavenly bodies and there are earthly bodies. But the splendor of the heavenly bodies is one kind, and the splendor of the earthly bodies is another. Notice the word splendor attached to our earthly bodies. That's an amazing adjective to describe the body. The sun has one kind of splendor, the moon another, the stars another, and the, uh, and the star differs from the star in splendor. So will it be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It will be raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, 
there is also a spiritual body. What is Paul getting at? He is saying that in the resurrection, the human body of human beings will be raised and changed into a spiritual body, but still, it has a connection with the body that you received in your birth. That body will be changed and transformed. That body will be freed from sin. That body will no longer be subject to weakness and to death. That body that will be raised will be immortal. That body is that body that you will have everlastingly. So what are Christians confessing then? We truly believe in the resurrection of this person. And we are a psychophysical unit. We are made up of a mental component and a, and a material component. And when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the whole person. Not just their spirit, but also their body. Not just their psyche, but their soma. And so that is the basis for our hope in the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me, let me uh, go on an excursus here for a moment. What I believe this is saying is that we, in our bodily life on earth, we can expect that in heaven there will also be a bodily life. Now notice what having a body does for you just for a moment, being corporeal. Number one, it gives you individuality. You hear me read over and over almost every Sunday. I love the phrase, my sheep hear my voice and they know me and they come unto me and I give unto them eternal life. And you heard me preach last week and, or maybe the week before about Jesus going after the one lost sheep. Contrary to what many Bible exegetes will say today from the left, there is an emphasis upon the individual in the New Testament. That individuality is rooted in your bodily existence. Can you imagine if we were disembodied people? What individuality would we have? It gives you your uniqueness. The body is never to be despised. In fact, here on earth, even in our sinful condition, we are told that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Ghost. Let the Gnostic and Neoplatonists and the modern materialists and the spiritualists have their views of the body, which fall far short of that of what Christians understand body to be. But it gives you your uniqueness. Also think about this, and I take this from C.S. Lewis. He has a wonderful way of expressing this. But we have bodies and we could not relate to each other without bodies, could we? When I see you, what am I seeing? I, I really can't see your soul. I, I suspect that it's there and I know that it makes you what you are and it animates you and it gives you your personality. But I see you bodily. And I look at you and I say, there goes so-and-so. 
And I look at another person and another person. I can distinguish one from another. It's the way we relate. I'm able to sustain my life by taking a drink or eating a piece of bread. I'm able to reach out and say something to you by shaking your hand or speaking to you or seeing you. Now, I'm speculating here just a bit when I take the next jump to heaven, but I think that it's going to be something like that, even in the new heaven and the new earth. That's the hope we have. I have had loved ones that I dearly loved and miss who have passed away. I do hope to see them in heaven. I think I will be able to shake their hand or give them a hug. What do you think? Is this the hope we have? Think for a moment what it is to not believe in the resurrection. Paul almost shrinks back in horror. Is this it? We're people most miserable. But what if it is really true that I will not only see the chair of John Calvin if I went to Geneva, but I actually will see him one day in heaven? What if it's true that I will see King David? Or Moses or Abraham? Most of all, I am sure that we will see our Lord Jesus Christ. This is what it means to believe in the resurrection of the body. What Christian hope we have. My friends, you can search far and wide. You will not find a respect for the body like the Christian religion gives it. Moreover, you will not have the hope in heaven that you find in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing. Without a future bodily resurrection, can there really be a squaring of things, a completion of things? Could we ever, ever hope for justice? Unless there is. But the scriptures declare that we shall be raised. And we'll even appear before the judgment seat of Christ in our bodies to be judged. I dug up something from the past. Uh, ben Franklin, I don't know exactly what he finally believed about spiritual things. He is said by some to be a deist, and yet he had a great fascination with the great English evangelist who went up and down these shores preaching, George Whitfield. There's a wonderful description of him trying to figure out scientifically how far Whitfield's voice could carry in the city of Philadelphia, and he keeps backing up and backing up. And he says, well, I'm so far from him, and I can still hear him. He keeps backing up and backing up, and finally, I suppose, he reaches the place where he says, I can't hear you now. When he was 23, he wrote this epitaph for himself. Now, this is not what appeared on his gravestone. Listen to it. The body of B. Franklin Printer like the cover of an old book, its contents torn out and script of its lettering and gilding lies here, food for worms. But the work shall not be lost, for it will, 
as he believed, appear once more in a new and more elegant edition, revised and corrected by the author. Now, again, I don't know his personal views. But taken at 23, I suspect that he was highly influenced in his understanding by Christianity. The body. In 2005, a great hullabaloo was raised concerning the cemetery in which John Calvin was um, buried. It seems like the city fathers and mothers got the idea to bury a woman with the last name of Real, R-E-A-L, Grisheldus Real, to bury her there in 205, just when Geneva was getting ready to celebrate the 500th birthday of John Calvin, who was born in 1509. This woman was 76 years old. Now, the problem was she was being honored for her advocacy for sex workers. She had been a prostitute most of her life. She had four children. And she'd become a well-known advocate for sex workers in her old age. And uh, some of the politicians got the idea that she should be honored, so they put her in the Cemetery of Honor, not far from Calvin's grave. Some of the feminists and others raised Cain. They thought it was a mockery of their movement. What is interesting, the Swiss Reformed Church hardly raised a peep. And I think they were right. The grave is kind of the level of all things, isn't it? I think they were right not to protest. I don't think John Calvin would have protested. If I understand his theology, I don't think he would have protested. He wouldn't have approved of her life. Don't get me wrong. And her cause, particularly. But I think he knew something that is even more basic to our bodies and our resurrection. And that is this. That Jesus Christ died for sinners. And John Calvin knew that if God were to judge rightly, he too would be condemned just as this woman would be condemned. And he could say in the end, and I'm sure he would, except for the grace of God, there go I. He would leave everything up to God's judgment. For we all shall be raised. And we shall appear before him to be judged by the deeds done in the body. Does God take the body seriously? He must. He made it. And he will remake it. And you will live with him through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ who raises the dead. Amen.